Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Going to be looking at another well-known Bible story this morning, Daniel in the lion's den. No pressure, preach Daniel in the lion's den. Got lots of help. A little over a year ago, I went with Pastor Maquan to India on a 17-day gospel blitz of the state of Gujarati, and we were moving all around in India and. Um, one of the places that we went to was a place called Junagad. And so we did ministry there. And then um, as we were traveling to the next place, we went by um, the Gur National Forest. Now, the Gur National Forest happens to be the home of a lion preserve. And so as we're going from, you know, Junagad to the next place, which I can't pronounce and I can't, you know, pinpoint where that is. I just know we were going through the Gur National Forest and the, the, the temptation or the... Or the the experience to get up close and personal with a lion, you know, that was just too much. So we, we took the, the Jeep into, um, into the Gur National Forest. Now, here's a picture of what was kind of coming up on my, on my radar in my head. You know, I'm going through a lion preserve at the Gur National Forest, and I'm going to have an up-close personal experience with a lion, you know, something like that. That was taken at the Gur National Forest. Now, here's a picture I took while we were in the Gur National Forest. Can you see the lion in that picture? <laughs> yeah, if you can't, that's, there's a good reason, because the, the lions went running when they smelled Americans coming through their preserve. Well, you know, people today who are following Jesus, wanting to live a God-strong life, are going to have the exact opposite experience of me in India at the Gur National Forest at Lion Preserve. It is a guarantee that you are going to run into lions in your life. And in this chapter of Daniel, I mean, he's in the lion's den, but he actually doesn't have any trouble with the actual lions. It's the other ones in the passage that show up. They are the ones that give us problems. So let's pray, and then we'll see if we can spot these lions throughout this chapter. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, and boy, we're thankful for this story that you've given us, that we've heard, many of us, our whole lives. And so we come to it with expectant hearts, we come to it um, with some familiarity, and we, we come to it um, in wanting to hear your voice speak to us today, uh, for this day in our lives of following you. Uh, so I do ask, Lord, that you give us a, a fresh hearing of this word, give us, uh, give us grace to, to hang in there with it and um, to soak up what it says. Um, and help us, Lord, just grow us in our faith 
as we see what you can do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first lion that shows up is actually in verses 1 to 5. And it's, you know, we're, if we're going to be living God's strong lives, we are going to learn, have to learn how to trounce the lion of politics. Now, Oba, I just want to mention, by the way, that all of my verbs for all my major points are brought to you by Father's Day. They are a little bit masculine, okay, on the masculine side. But I think everybody will get something out. So we need to trounce the lion of politics. So let's read verse, uh, verses 1 to 5. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So King Darius, remember, he's taken over. Uh, they conquered Babylon here, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, King Belshazzar. He's gone now, and so you got the new king, and he's setting up a new government here. He divides the kingdom of Babylon into 120 different regions, and he sets up officials over each one of them, which were called satraps. Now, in order to keep the satraps honest, he sets up three other guys uh, to be over them, to whom they are accountable to, um, and one of those guys is Daniel. So Daniel, he's a holdover from the previous administration, right? And so his reputation, his, his, uh, his history in Babylon has made him a first round draft choice, uh, for King Darius to be in his, in his cabinet. And so Daniel is, uh, is right there at the top again. Now he doesn't disappoint. Daniel doesn't. He, he goes about doing what he's always done. He's no rookie on this job here. All right. He's been serving Babylon for 70 years or so now. And he outshines everybody else. King takes notice of that and decides he wants to set Daniel up over everybody. And then the lion shows up. The other high officials and the 120 satraps, they hatch this plan to find a complaint against Daniel um, of the way he's governing in the kingdom. Um, so they want to take him down. They don't want him to get this promotion. As you read those verses, you can just taste the envy, you know, that's going on in there. But we also need to understand there's some greed going on in here too. Because they know if Daniel, who they can't find any complaint, who they can't figure out what's wrong with him, if he gets in charge, we're not going to be able to fleece the kingdom of any of the prophets that's coming out of the provinces. So we need to do something about this. They got a problem though. They can't find any fault. They can't find any fault. So, so they come up with a, they, they come up with this plan. They start scheming. It says, if we're gonna find, have, if we're gonna find something wrong with Daniel, if we're gonna get him in trouble, we're gonna have to do it in connection to his religion. To his faithful practice of that. So that is the line of politics. Rearing its ugly head. And Daniel shows us how to trounce it. Uh, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Um, he was, why, and it says why, because he was faithful. Because he was faithful. He was living his life. He was working his job. He was keeping his promises. He was dealing with people in a faithful, honest, and fair way. 
Now, those words usually don't come up when you talk about people in politics. You know, faithful, fair, honest. But Daniel is living a life of integrity. He is a man of integrity. And if we're going to trounce this lion, we've got to follow Daniel's example. Now, the lion of politics, it is all about how it looks and not about how it actually is. And that's what the line of politics is all about. And that's why faithfulness is the key to defeating politics. It's living a life of integrity. And so your, your outside life, the thing that people see, is a reflection of your inside life. Your, your public life is the same as your private life. What's going on on the inside? No skeletons in your closet that people could find out because you've already opened the door and let them out. You're not hiding anything. Your financial life, your family life, your spiritual life, your social media life, all of these lives are in sync. It's a life of integrity. It's living faithful. And when you're able to live faithful, when you're able to have a life of integrity, that frees you up from playing with this lion, this lion of politics, you know, where you have to feel like you've got to try to look good when you're not actually as good as what people are talking about you around, around you. So it frees you from that temptation. And what you'll find out is if you're living a life of integrity, the lion of politics will have nothing to eat in your life and it will starve to death. Now, just beware that that doesn't mean that you won't get bitten or chewed on or wounded by this lion. These officials, they concocted the plan to actually use the thing that we're talking about, integrity, faithfulness, against Daniel. And so they knew that the only way to get at him was to make his faithfulness to God illegal. Could people in your life come up with the same conclusion as these satraps did? as they looked at Daniel's life? In other words, could your faithfulness get you in trouble at work or at school or in the neighborhood with the neighbors? Could your faithfulness get you in trouble? You know, we just saw um, an example of this in our country in this, uh, through this Supreme Court ruling that just came out uh, pretty recently. Uh, Jack Phillips was uh, the guy in this case, and he owns Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. And he was at the Supreme Court, and he had refused to make a custom wedding cake for a gay couple that came in and requested one. And he said this, They were asking me to make a cake that would celebrate a view of marriage that goes against the core values of my face view on marriage. And so he offered to make them any other kind of cake, just not a custom wedding cake. And he even offered to sell them anything else in his shop. But the couple wasn't satisfied, so they sued him, and they won their case in Colorado based on discrimination laws. And so just recently here, it's been five years ago now, this case came, come, came up before the Supreme Court, and they came out with their ruling, and they overturned the lower court's um, verdict by a, a vote of 7-2 to two in favor of Jack Phillips, saying that his, his free speech rights and his free uh, right to express his religion, that that needed to be protected. His faithfulness is what got him in trouble. Could it be, could it be said of you? 
You know, over this series, I have brought up uh, several times the issue of same-sex marriage and, and homosexuality. And um, I am sure that there are some folks who would say, if they heard what I said, that I'm being unloving or I'm speaking hate speech or I'm being a bigot. Um, but, you know, um, and, and all of that, they would say, is because I'm, I'm not affirming homosexual behavior. But see, I, I don't believe that loving my neighbor, as uh, Jesus told me to, means that I need to affirm all of their behavior as good, um, especially when he would not. And, you know, this pulpit up here is, is still a form of protected free speech. But I'm actually not free to say whatever I want because my words need to line up with what God says, what his word says. And so I can't twist what he has said to try and make it more palatable to the majority of people in our culture who are going the way of same-sex marriage is okay. I can't tickle ears. And that, because of that... Um, I believe that if the Lord tarries and I continue to have opportunity to do this, um, that I will get in trouble someday. Because um, the Bible's going out of season if it's not out of season already. And so you'll have to come visit me <laughs> when somebody comes and takes me away. Brothers and sisters, this issue, living God strong in a pro-LGBTQ culture, there is nothing easy about it, and there is nothing simple about it. Nothing simple. It's not black and white. We have got to love extravagantly. You know, I am pro-homosexual. I'm just anti-sin. And we've got to see homosexual behavior as a sin just like any other sin. And that, all, that puts us all in the same place, in need of a Savior. So that kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? We have to see homosexuals as people who are made in the image of God, who desperately need to know, maybe more than we do, that they are loved by God, just like they are. No changing. They're loved just like they are. And they need to know that God has compassion for them. And they need to know that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for them. And they need to know that they will receive grace upon grace to follow Him if they choose to do that. They need to know all those things. And we have a lot to learn about loving this community. And I brought it up a couple of times, so I wanted to give you some, some help. I bought you a book. It's back there on the table. It's called, Is God Anti-Gay? And take one home for your family today. I'm telling you, it's a great book. It will help you as a believer learn to live God strong and be faithful in this current swimming pool that we are in with our neighbors. Okay, so i got to go on. I could stop there and keep going. But In verses 6 to 15, the next lion shows up. When we are living God strong, we are going to definitely have to crush the lion of warfare. 
So here it is, uh, verses 6 to 14. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king! Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man for within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he, had, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now know, O king, that, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So the leaders, the high officials, the satraps, all these people, they go to the king with this new idea for a new law. Say, king, you're setting up a new kingdom here, and it'd be really good if for 30 days you would unite everybody so that only people can pray to you. So here's uh, King Darius, and uh, he's thinking, that sounds like a, like a novel idea. You know, I'm setting up this kingdom to unify everybody, and, and you know, how could 122 leaders of my country be, be wrong? So he agrees, and he signs this law, which carves it in stone, so it couldn't be reversed. Kind of locks in the king. So Daniel gets word about this new law, and he goes home, and he goes into hiding. No, <laughs> no, that's not what he does. He goes home, and he goes to the second story of his house, where he's got some open windows that face Jerusalem, and he gets down on his knees, and he prays to his God, not just once, not just in the morning, but morning, afternoon, evening, like he'd always done. Like he'd always done. So this wasn't an act of rebellion against the law or defiance against the king. He was just being faithful to his God. And that's how the officials knew to get him. Because he was faithful. He would pray like this before. They knew he did it three times a day. Now, I'm sure what they did was they had a stakeout going, right? You know, out in the street, uh, outside Daniel's house, there's some guy standing there with an overcoat on and a hat, kind of looking up, looking up the window. Is Daniel going to fall for the trap? You know, or is he going to be faithful and set his, set his seal his fate? You know, when he shows up in that second story window, you know, that scout goes, runs to the leaders. They run to the king. Oh, king, didn't you make this law? Didn't you make this law? No one could pray to you. So they rat him out. 
They rat him out. So uh, Daniel, this exiled Jew, he is being faithful and he's ignoring you, O king, you know, and he's, uh, he's, he's ignoring the law. It's, a, it's an all-out attack on Daniel. Now, the lion of spiritual warfare is fought every single day by believers. We just don't always recognize it. But it is going on every single day. Daniel didn't know what was going on until the law had been made. It was carved in stone. And it was after he found out about the law, he had a, a decision to make. And the decision he, he made was to fight the war. See, spiritual war is not fought with the weapons made of man. It's fought with the armor of God. And you find that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 to 18. Let me read that to you. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and, have it, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So that last verse, verse 18, tells us how to put on the armor by praying. Prayer is our weapon in this warfare. It's how we crush the lion of warfare. So all of the armor that we put on, except one piece, is about defense. It's about protecting us. I mean, the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, the shield, the shoes, all that is defending us against attack. All we got to do is put it on in prayer and depend on God to do the fighting for us. So the truth, you know, the truth combats the lies that are thrown about by the enemy in spiritual warfare. Remember, our enemy is the father of lies, and so he just speaks lies. And so we need the truth, and that's the way that we combat that. Jesus' righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, it covers our heart so that when our behavior says to us we're not righteous and then the enemy comes and says, see, you're not righteous, Jesus' righteousness covers our heart. It protects us. We belong to him. God's salvation, the helmet of salvation, it comes to our mind. Our salvation comes to our mind, reminding us who did the work for our salvation and who we belong to. We're secure in his hands. The gospel, the gospel of peace, the shoes for our uh, feet in the warfare, you know, it gives us grounds to stand on and make us ready to fight. And then we've got the shield of faith, that strong barrier that we hold up. We hold up our faith, get down behind it, and the arrows that come at us can't get to us from the enemy. All of them are knocked down. All of those defensive in nature. Now, you've got the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, the one offensive weapon we've been given. And what, what we do there with the Word of God is we speak it to the lion who's trying to devour us, and we put him in his place. See, in prayer, we speak truth, we speak the Word of God in Jesus' name, and we tell him, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And that's how we crush him. That's how we depend on God through prayer. Put on the armor of God. Now, the king doesn't get angry 
when he hears that Daniel is doing this. He doesn't get mad, but he does get sad. And he spends a whole day trying to figure out, you know, how to get Daniel out of this mess that he's put him in because he fell for the line of politics. And so he's in this situation. So I thought, you know, with all of the power that King Darius had, he was powerless to get himself out of this and to get uh, to keep Daniel from the lions. So the men, they come and they pressure him, you know, after that whole day. Hey, King, you made the law. You're trapped, man. You got to do this. They want to get rid of Daniel. So the next lion that shows up as we're uh, trying to live God strong is the lion of death in verses 16 to 24. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you continually, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his, with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, they, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So the king, he gives the order and sentences Daniel to the lion's den. His heart is broken here and his words prove it. You know, he, he wishes Daniel, he says, I pray that God will deliver you. The God whom you continually serve, the God that you're faithful to, I pray he will deliver you because I can't do it. And so the sentence is carried out and Daniel goes into the den and a huge stone is brought and covers the mouth of the den and it's sealed and the king uses his signet ring and he seals it somehow, maybe, I don't know how that looks, but uh, he seals it. But what that, what that symbolizes is that nobody from the outside can come in and do anything to help Daniel. If something's going to be done, it's going to have to happen from the inside. And so then he goes home and he fasts and he prays all night long. And as soon as morning comes, he runs to the, runs to the den and uh, he yells out, Daniel, are you okay? And Daniel says, yeah, I'm okay. God sent an angel last night to shut the mouths of the lions and I had a pretty good night's sleep. He's totally unharmed because he was trusting in his God. Stones rolled away and the man who went into the den as good as dead walks out alive. Daniel overcame the line of death by trusting his God. Now, this scene should remind you of another man. Another man who died on a cross and then was buried in a tomb. And a rock, a stone was rolled in front of the tomb and sealed so that nobody from the outside could come in and start hatching lies about 
the death and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The resurrection is right here because three days later that stone was rolled away and Jesus, who died on the cross, walked out of the grave. Man who went in dead came out alive, just like Daniel. God's showing us right here. Jesus overcame the line of death, but it wasn't just for him. It was for all of us. Like Daniel, we're helpless against this lion. Unlike Daniel, we cannot say that we are blameless before God. If we aren't rescued, we will go the way of all the officials and their families and we'll be devoured before we hit bottom. God sent an angel to rescue Daniel, and guess what? God sent his only son, Jesus, to rescue us from the lion of death. Jesus said in John 11:25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. Now, the Bible talks about two kinds of death. Physical death and spiritual death. And when we're born, we're born physically alive, but spiritually dead. And when we believe in Jesus, our soul walks out of that death and becomes alive to God. Jesus calls it being born again in John chapter 3. Born of the Spirit. And so that's trusting in the rescuer to help us defeat the lion of spiritual death in our life. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? From eternal death. That's what Jesus does for us. But the incredible thing is this. When, you overcome the, when, the, when this lion is overcome, the lion of spiritual death, by believing, Jesus will also conquer the lion of physical death in your life when he comes back. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. I believe that's true. The next verse, I didn't put it in there, but it says, encourage each other with these words. The line of death is defeated by the work, by the person and work of Jesus. Have you trusted in him? Have you trusted in who he is, the son of the living God who stands blameless before him? And the work he's done, shedding his blood, the price required for the forgiveness of sins... But that's not where it ends. And he overcame death. He defeated the lion of death. Have you trusted in that for yourself? That's how you do it. That's how you overcome that lion. Now the last verses, 25 to 28, 
when more lion comes around to live God's strong lives, you're going to have to learn to tame the lion of prosperity. Listen to these verses. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in, uh, in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be to, the, to that his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, uh, the, per- the Persian. So the king writes this edict, uh, basically commanding all the people of the kingdom everywhere to bow down to Daniel's God. Why? Because he's the living God. He's the everlasting God. His kingdom's never going to end. Nobody's ever going to conquer him. His God is the God who delivers. His God is the one who rescues. His God is the one who is alive. He is worthy to be praised. And then verse 28 says that uh, Daniel lived the rest of his days um, prospering under the reign of Darius and of Cyrus the Persian. Now, that sounds pretty good, you know. I mean, you know, government's on God's side and Daniel's, you know, prospering. What, what could be the trouble with that? Well, first of all, we can't force people to worship God. We can't force them to do it. They have to come to the place of worship by faith, not by force. And so this kind of brought to mind this idea that, you know, um, we have our own little kingdoms in our homes. And if you've got children in your homes, dads, moms, um, we want to keep in mind that we cannot force our kids to believe. Now, you know, when we bring our kids to church when they're little, they want to come. You know, they're all in for class. They run back there without being told. And they have an easy time believing that the lion's mouths were shut by an angel sent by God and that Jesus came and walked out of the grave. Those are good days. Enjoy them. As a parent. But the funny thing about kids, they grow up. They grow up, and at some point they're going to have to decide for themselves if what they've been told they really believe. And so we got to keep that in mind. You know, it's a sad statistic that is still true today. 80% of kids that are leaving home and going to college who have been to church, been in youth group, even been on mission trips, you know, kids we would say are sold out for Jesus within the first semester. They're walking away from their faith. See, kids today, they don't have to just wrestle with, is Christianity true? They have to wrestle with also, is Christianity good? Because the world doesn't think so. And they get challenged when they go to college. So a forced faith will always end up being a fake faith every single time. So dads and moms, make sure you bring your kids to church. Make sure you teach them how to read the Bible and how to pray. Teach them all these things. But make sure, above all else, you are living your faith in front of them out loud. That you've got a life of integrity. That they're not seeing something at home that's different than something that's at church. That they, they hear you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That they hear you say, 
Let's pray about that and see what God will do. Give them an environment that's safe and secure to doubt, because they're doubting. To ask questions. To talk to them. Create that kind of environment that's free, not forced. And then listen. If they walk away, don't reject them. Don't condemn them. Just love them and trust them into the hands of God. Because He wants them way more than you do. As they're growing up, listen for personal faith to come out in their conversations. Listen to hear if they have a relationship with God. Because it's not about what they know. It's about who they know. And if they know the Savior, they'll know Him in college too. Okay, so that really didn't have anything to do with the line of prosperity, but I thought it would be helpful in Father's Day and... It was helpful for me, for me to write it. So, Daniel prospered. He prospered. And that's all we get about his remaining years. But remember how prosperity and faith don't usually mix well together to produce a God-strong life. See, when you're prosperous, it's so hard. It's a hard life because you begin to fall asleep. Your prayer life suffers. Your passion, hunger for God suffers. Your purpose for living gets clouded. Your pursuit of God suffers. Prosperity is usually seen as a blessing, but in reality, if you look at church history, persecution has done way more to grow the kingdom of God in and through believers. So what do we do as prosperous people living in the most prosperous nation in the world? We don't have to wait for persecution to come to have a revival in our life. We don't have to wait. All we have to do is to give back our prosperity to God as an act of worship. We give it back to him. That's the way you tame this lion. To give. Give. And I'm not just talking about money, but money is included in this. This is about a lifestyle of worship. From your time, your talent, and your treasure. Offering it back to God. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. A high price. Your life belongs to God. So give it back to Him. It's not something He can do for you. It's only something you can do for Him. Because He's given it to you. So giving our life back to Him is how this lion gets tamed. Now God's strong giving looks like this. King David is described as a man who is after God's own heart. So the first thing we look at is to give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. A man after God's own heart who was also the most prosperous man that any of us would have ever known. More than if we combined all of our prosperity in this room together, we would still not reach the prosperous level of David. And he said this in 2 Samuel 24, 24. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. There's something to that. And if if you're not feeling the giving when you're giving, if it's not costing you anything, don't expect it to tame the lion of prosperity in your life. So give sacrificially. Find a way. Then give generously. 
First Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So, you know, when it comes to the amounts that you give to God, of your time, talent, and treasure, just begin by thinking about how much God has given to you. How generous has God been to you? And then, as a follower of that God, follow his example. Give generously. Give joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I really love what it says there. Decide in your heart what to give. Not in your head. In your heart. Because heart giving produces joy. Joyful giving. Give obediently. Jesus said in Luke 6.30, Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Hebrews 13.16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You know, steps of obedience to God always seem to produce a fire inside. You know, when you know what he wants you to do, and you know he sees what you're doing, and you start to do that, and you realize that every step you take is causing him to smile bigger and bigger, there's something to that. Because he is becoming your treasure. And that's how the lion gets tamed. Give secretly. Matthew 6, 3 and 4. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private in your hev- in, and, your heaven- and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So when you can, give anonymously. You know, every single time I have received an anonymous gift, the only thing that I was able to do was turn my eyes to heaven and praise and thank God for His provision. That's all you can do when, when you receive an anonymous gift. And that's a really good thing. But it's also good to give anonymously. When you give anonymously, when I have done that in the past, you know, it's just between God and me. And it keeps my heart out of it and all the, you know, complications there. It's just me. I know he sees it. And and I know that, you know, someday down the road he'll he'll acknowledge it. I'll I'll get something when I see him. So you can pay it ahead by giving secretly. Um, One last one. Give increasingly. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Tame the lion of prosperity by continuing to give more and more and more away of your life. Grow in the grace of giving. Excel in giving. Give increasingly. So wherever you are, just take a step forward in this. Whatever that step looks like, time, talent, and treasure, grow in the grace of giving. I'm telling you, this is the only way that I know of to tame the lion of prosperity. And that's to give. Give it away. Let's have our worship team come back up. So, the lions in the den were not a problem. 
They did not cause Daniel any trouble. But those lions of politics and warfare and death and prosperity, they are another story. So what's your next step this morning? What's your next step to to grow as a God-strong believer when you look at these? Because I promise you, you're not going to have an indie experience at the Lion Preserve. You're going to run into these lions maybe even today. So what are you going to do? I would suggest live your life with integrity and faithfulness. Depend on God in prayer to fight your battles. Trust in the Savior that His resurrection is going to be your resurrection in the future. And tame the line of prosperity by giving your life away. You do these things and you will be blessed. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank You for reigning. You are our God. You are our King. And You showed such a powerful deliverance in this chapter of, of Daniel. Uh, all the schemes of men, everything, you just laugh. It's nothing when you're involved. And so, Father, as we look at the lessons of this chapter pray your grace would help us today be abundant. Let us be able to walk in the way that you've spoken to us, whether it's about faithfulness or depending on you in prayer, trusting you for our life everlasting and giving our life back to you. Spirit, fill us. Show us the way. Help us walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.